If you know Meg, you know that she is known as practically perfect Meg. She is one of the most loving, kind, gentle women that you will ever meet. And she, some people don't know her, she's upstairs. She didn't hear me, but she'll watch the recording. Love you, Meg, as my wife. And uh, there's one thing, though, there's a couple of things, but there's one thing in particular that will turn her 180. She will snap and turn 180 to like the Hulk. It's like a Hulk moment. And that is ants. If we get one ant in the house, I know what's going to happen. And the first time that we ever got an ant is we live in an old house, and so there's always a place for ants to come in. And she saw one ant in the kitchen. Now, my job, obviously, is to stop this invasion that's about to happen, right? I don't know what to do. There's just one ant. I'm not freaking out about an ant, but she's freaking out about an ant. So I get on the internet, right? And internet plus Kurt plus ADD equals like a simple Google search becomes three hours. I'm, wa I'm researching ants. I'm, uh, I'm watching ants. I'm like, somehow I got on like the planet of the earth's ant edition where you're just watching these ants. And it's actually amazing about ants. Don't worry, I took care of them. But if you ever see Meg walk in with an angry face, that means there's ants in her kitchen, all right? And so I did a lot of research about ants. I kind of think I'm an ant expert. Now, one of the things that you have to know is that there are a lot of ants in the world. Does anybody have a guess of how many ants there are in the world? For, for every single person here, it's estimated that there are a million ants. Think about that. They're, they're everywhere. There are, for every person here, there are a million ants. The other thing that I didn't know is that ants actually have the, are the fastest thing in the world. There's a thing called a trap ant where their jaw goes 140 miles per hour. This little ant, its jaw can snap at 140 miles per hour. Now, the other thing that you have to know is that they're full of strength. They are the strongest creatures in the world. You know, it looks like this, but they have the, or it, it's kind of a, a thing to think about, but they have the ability to carry 10 to 50 times their own body weight. 10 to 50 times their own body weight. So all this research is for this one powerful truth. Because when I thought about what I was going to preach on today, instantly the Holy Spirit said, you're going to talk about ants. Because God is revealing one thing. Small things have incredible power. Small things have incredible power. We live our lives looking at the big things. We read the news and we get overwhelmed. We begin to think, will there be a war? Will there not be a war? We begin to think, am I safe? We are in a time that's very difficult. I, I'm only 40 years old, 39, 40 this year. But we are in a time that I've never experienced where it's crisis after crisis, after crisis, where you begin to get overwhelmed. Now, one of the challenges with that is that it's important to look at the big things in life, but throughout scriptures, we see that the smallest things often have the biggest effect on us. The smallest things often have the biggest effect on us. We see expressed in ants. Like if I was as strong as an ant, I would be able to pick up around 4,000 to 9,000 pounds. If you've ever worked out with me, I can pick up around 40 to 90 pounds. It's kind of joking, but not really. Tony's over there like snickering. It's all right, Tony. I, 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 effort is my game. 
But we are going to get a warning in these passages, and they're going to read this. The small things in your life are the things to look out for. The small things in your life are what to look out for. Be aware of them. They can begin to influence you. And when they begin to influence you, they don't stop and they actually take root. Like the ants in our house, Meg knows if one ant's coming, a whole colony's coming. And her brain, she's just picturing every countertop and every appliance just covered with ants. But she knows that just one little ant coming in and you got big problems. So let's keep reading Mark today. We're in Mark. In Mark 8, there's these series of stories. So we're going to do a lot of reading, okay? So there's these series of stories that all go together. And you kind of have to, to get the full picture. We're going to do a lot of reading. The, these passages have what Mark has. There's crowds. He does a miracle, right? And then the Pharisees or the religious leaders come and they have a little problem with Jesus. And then Jesus pulls his disciples to the side. And he's like, here's what it really means to be a follower of the way. We're going to land on what does it mean to be the follower of the way, but we got to get there, okay? So let's set the stage. One more time, Jesus attracts a large crowd. He once again is teaching them and it says that he has compassion on them. They haven't eaten in three days, it says. I know y'all, and I know I get the complaints. If my church, if this church service doesn't end at 1230, y'all get angry. These people were so much more hardcore than you all, right? I'm just going to lay it out there. Let that, maybe that was the convicting word from the Spirit. But uh, like three days without eating, and Jesus has compassion on him. And we see here Mark 8, 4 through 10, his disciples answered, but, where, it, but where, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. It was a lot. After he had sent them out, or sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Damathna. Now, we talked about the feeding of, the feeding of 5,000. We've talked about 4,000 now. And once again, the miraculous happens and there's an overflow, okay? There's an overflow. That's what you need to know here. There's an overflow of God's provision. There were seven loaves and now there's seven basketfuls. Let's read on. Mark 8, 11 through 13. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test them, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. As typical Mark, the Pharisees just show up out of nowhere, okay? It's like the crowd and then the Pharisees. But I think you can read into it that's clear that they were probably within the crowd. The Pharisees are within the crowd, and they're watching everything that's going on. It's clear that they've been following Jesus around, so they would have seen miracle after miracle, and they would have seen the demonstration of God's power through Jesus. And what we see is they approach Jesus, and they ask him for a sign. Now, it says here that they tested him. 
Now, what is this word? This word test implies bad intent once again. And what we see is it's the same word that was used in Mark 1 when Jesus is out in the wilderness for 40 days. And it says Jesus was tempted by Satan. Satan had tempted Jesus. Same word. Okay, so this is the word that, they're, that he's using. And so what are the Pharisees doing? You see, in those days, a sign was evidence that a, pre, that a prophet or a teacher actions were authentic and that they were trustworthy. And so they were challenging Jesus to give him unmistakable proof that he and his mission were from God. So they're asking for proof to see that that's true. Now, they weren't really interested in that. They were not interested in actually seeing that. They had their mind set up on who he was. They had already made up their mind on who Jesus was, and so that was not the intent. So they're testing not out of good intentions. And we know that Jesus knows this. And so Jesus responds with emotion. He responds with emotion. It says this, he deeply sighed. His spirit actually lamented. It's this idea that it could be translated, he literally groaned inwardly. We've talked about this before. He groaned inwardly. When it says he sighed, he's lamenting on how far off these people are from who they are supposed to be. And he asked this rhetorical question, why does this generation ask for a sign? What is he saying here? This generation denotes the, the people of Israel. And these people who are the religious leaders, they represent the whole nation. And these people are the people who refuse to accept Jesus. Jesus knows that the religious leaders refuse over and over to accept what? God's opportunity for grace through him. He knows that there's bad intent. He knows that they're off track. He knows that they do not see through him the grace that's about to be poured out. You see, this is a hard truth. This was a hard truth for me to figure out as well. Faith is not faith if you have to ask for proof. Faith is not faith if you have to ask for proof. For the Pharisees, it's quite certain that they have seen it and they're choosing not to believe it. They have seen Jesus. They have seen the miracles. They have heard his teaching. And they're choosing not to believe it. Time and time again, this can happen to us. It is a, I know this is like a awkward to say this in a room full of believers or people that are trying to figure this out. But time after time, God has come through for me. He's provided for me. He's taken care of a situation that I didn't think would ever get taken care of. And still there's this temptation that something comes our way and we're like, God, I know your promises. God, I know that you have done this. God, I know that you come through. And still, could you just give me a little sign or some proof that this is going to happen? Does anybody feel that way? Like just a little sign that this is going to be okay. Jesus sees this lack of faith in the religious leaders. It's like, look, you know that I've done a ton of miracles. You were there most likely watching the 4,000 get seven loaves of bread and having seven basketfuls of extra. And yet what's happening? It's like the temptation story, Luke 4, 9 through 12. The devil 
led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus could do this. Satan knew that. Jesus knew that. Jesus responds, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The Pharisees are doing the same thing. They're putting the Lord to the test, and the Pharisees know they are not to do this. They understood the Hebrew scriptures better than anyone. I guarantee they knew verse and chapter. Deuteronomy 6.16 specifically says, do not put your Lord to the test. And so what we see is a power struggle that is happening right now. And Jesus always, Jesus always will win against religious authorities. He will. He will. They aren't practicing what they preach. And Jesus knows that. That's one of the hardest things. One of the hardest things for me as a, as a, as a preacher up here, I hope you guys believe this. Everything that I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself. And I'm trying to live this out. There has been something in the American church in particular, but churches throughout the world where you guys think that I haven't figured out, right? Or that I will always be this. I'm telling you, I practice what I preach. I did something this week to someone where I had to say this, I screwed up, can I be forgiven? It was the easiest thing. Everything was good. But that happens, okay? But we practice what we preach, and he says the Pharisees are not doing that. Jesus knows who he is, and there's no need to provide sp special proof. The second reason is the request is not sincere. They don't seek faith. They are there to test. It says, Mark used the word test, to tempt. We studied this last week. Faith is part of the equation. Faith is part of the equation for all of us. Faith is part of the equation in every aspect of our lives. And what we see is that it's an ingredient of God's power being displayed. And what we see is that there's no proof for those that don't believe it. They miss it. They don't get it. And so we see that Jesus withdraws and hops onto the boat. Now, we're talking about this is called the way of Jesus, right? And, and if you're just looking at this, like, you got to get your sea legs if you're a disciple. Man, there's a lot of crowds and then boats. Crowds and then boats. And so they're hopping on another boat, and they're heading across. And then Jesus gives this warning, a warning that we are to take seriously. Let's start here. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Emergency happens. Emergency happens. I can relate to the disciples here. They were so busy serving others, they had seven basketfuls left, and they only had the sense to grab one loaf, okay? I can relate to this. Does everyone remember their, their wedding? Like, in their wedding, it's like there is gourds of food. There's just food after food after food. Meg and I, we were busy dancing. Like, if, if we ever go to a wedding with you, Meg and I, we are the worst dancers, but we are going to shut that place down with our dancing. <laughs> so we danced. And we greeted and we had the time of our life where we forgot to eat, right? So the next morning we wake up and I'm starving. Meg was still asleep and I was starving. So I do, like I am the most romantic guy in the world. I got out of the hotel and I went and got like four Egg McMuffins. 
This is the greatest thing. Can you imagine how lucky she is? Like this is an emergency though when you're hungry. You're dead. We had just been serving people for so long. And I show up with four Egg McMuffins. I thought she was going to gag when she saw me. And I thought, hey, this is the best thing. But if you don't have enough bread to go around, it's a call for an emergency when you're starving. When they had not eaten for three days and they just got one loaf of bread. So Mark 8, 15, Jesus responds. He knows about this. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Okay, teacher. Okay, rabbi. Okay, Jesus. Everything's a teachable moment. I totally get that. I totally get that. The disciples are like, I need some physical bread up in here, right? And what Jesus is saying is that he meant, he's like, they mentioned bread. Here's my opportunity because Jesus is going to teach them a greater truth. Now, bread, bread is a staple of Jewish culture, and it plays a significant role many times in scriptures. But in the New Testament in particular, it's often a metaphor for a greater truth, right? Jesus refers to himself as what? The bread of life. Then he, then he calls himself the living bread. After feeding 5,000 with five loaves of barley bread and two fish, Jesus literally uses this metaphor of his own ability to be the world's, world's substance and new life. And so here, he's not actually talking about bread itself. He's actually talking about something within the dough. He's talking about yeast. He's talking about yeast. And he's going to say there are two yeasts that you need to be what? This word here. There's a lot of transi- translations, but it's, it's a lot of different things. You need to be where? You need to be on lookout. You need to be on guard. This is the way he's thinking, all right? This yeast is something that we don't take passively. Now, here's the problem. Many of us just take it passively. Many of us take it passively. And so he's saying the yeast of the Pharisees, religion, and the yeast of the Herod, of Herod, the world. These two yeasts are similar, and yet they're different. We're going to talk about that later. We're going to get into it. But before I begin, I need to admit something. I, I got a D. Like, my only D was in home ec. Like, I am the, in middle school, I don't think they do home ec anymore. No, they probably not. We had to take, oh, they do. Okay, great. Home ec. Terrible at it. I am the worst. I don't, you know this, I don't cook. I definitely don't bake. And so when I was in, like, I literally almost failed it. And so one of the things is, like, we had to make cookies one time, I remember. And I don't remember what I did. I was trying to talk to Meg about this. I either used baking soda instead of baking powder or baking powder instead of soda, or I added salt instead of any of that stuff. I don't know what it was. But I remember because it was amazing because it became the dare to eat one of my cookies because it would make you gag enough that you would want to throw up. So I am not the expert on this. Everything that I'm talking about is all through studying, okay? Just to be honest with you. Yeast is a vital part of making bread. But yeast is small and yeast is powerful. I did not know this, but yeast, my mother-in-law is going to look at me. I need a thumbs up from you. Yeast is a single-celled fungus. I did not know this. Is that a thing? It's like the same as athlete's foot, apparently. It's a fungus. I... My mind was blown. No one's going to eat bread this afternoon. It's about the size of a single human cell. You, you can only see it through a microscope. And so yeast is a super powerful organism. 
and it's super powerful by one thing. It reproduces quickly. Once it's activated, it reproduces quickly. And because of that, once you put yeast in, it really can't be controlled. All right. So once you do it, it's happening. Once you put yeast in dough, it becomes uncontrollable because yeast is a living organism. It's alive. It's doing stuff all the time. Yeast does what yeast does once you put it in. Okay. That's what you got to know. And the nature of yeast is that once the process of leavening begins, it's impossible to stop. You just have to throw the dough out if it doesn't work. And it consumes sugar and produces carbon dioxide. I didn't know this. And the gas forms bubbles in the dough that begin to rise. Everyone's shaking their head like, yes, Kurt, obviously. <laughs> the more yeast you add to the dough, the more gas will be produced and the more the dough will, re will rise. If you add too much yeast, obviously it becomes uncontrollable. So what you know is that dough is vulnerable. You are the dough. It's vulnerable. You are the dough. And if you put these yeasts that Jesus talks about, the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of religion, the yeast of the world, the yeast of Herod, they are like living organisms. And even the smallest amount of the yeast impacts the whole dough. As a rabbi or a teacher, Jesus used these two yeasts as a symbol of evil. And I can imagine how, the, how evil, he's saying, this is how evil can affect you personally. And he's always talking about the individual, but he's also talking about communal. If this happens, it's going to affect the community. It's both the individual and the community. Yeast affects an individual, it affects a community, and it will ultimately affect a society. This is how it is all to work. And so one of the challenges is when we look at the big things and we ignore the small things, we begin to say, what is happening in our community? And we start talking in big generalities. And what's happening is if you look back to the very core of it is that some yeast got into something that made a bunch of people not how they were meant to live. So these yeasts have things that are common and that are different, but we're told to be aware of them. When Jesus warns about the yeast of the Pharisees, I did not make this exhaustive, but it's just something to just kind of think about. But when he's talking about the yeast of the Pharisees, he's warning us to be careful of self-righteousness be careful of self-righteousness. There is a temptation to be a person of faith. And as people of faith, we do everything we can, I truly believe it, to look more like Jesus, to talk more like Jesus, to be more like Jesus. That's a good thing. But within it, at the same time, you can begin to look down on people. You can begin to hold yourself up higher than other people. You can begin to look pious, you can begin to become legalistic, to create a church where like it's not until you're good enough can you actually be a part of it. And so there's this pharisaical kind of yeast that it can be, yeast that we can tell other people, we can hold ourselves up higher than other people. We can say we do all the right things and you're all going to hell. And so we're going to just come in and we're just going to be our own little tribe but we're told to be aware of that yeast because the truth is that you are only righteous 
because of Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees are coming and they're trying to be self-righteous. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? I'm right in front of your face and you are missing it because you can only be righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we have to be careful of that yeast. We have to be careful of that yeast. And then on the other side, there's this leaven of Herod. There's this yeast of Herod. There's this worldliness, right? And what we see is that we can go to the opposite. Many of the people in my generation, I'm the oldest millennial. Millennial and Gen Z, you will see this in particular. Maybe they had grew up in a religious or religiosity under them. And so they will go and they will be followers of Jesus, but they will look more worldly, right? They will be over here. They will go opposite. They'll be the swing. They want, they, they are begin to look less like Jesus in a world that looks less like Jesus. Do you ever see that? There's a temptation every single day for each of us to do what we want, to do what makes us happy, to do things for attention or status or to get rich or whatever it is, but on this side as well. And at first glance, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod seem like opposite. Pharisees are religious, right? Herod is not. Pharisees are strict and rule-bound. Herod is more indulgent. And what we see is that we are sinners within a church. And so oftentimes, and I can see it in my own life, we can swing a little bit over here or we can swing a little over here. And it's really, really hard to walk that narrow line with Jesus. But we're going to look at how we do that because there is a little example of how we do that. They're also similar. And I want to talk about this. One of the things that he's also saying is that both these groups are going to reject me. But they're similar because both these groups are going to reject what I am doing and what God is trying to do through me. So this is it. But they also, he's going to say this because he, they're going to reject him because of a thing called power. A thing called power. Both these groups are going to do whatever they can to keep power. And there's a temptation to use worldly means and there's a temptation sometimes to, do re, to use religious means to keep power. And Jesus is saying these yeasts cannot get into you as individuals. Okay? And Jesus is telling his disciples, and thus us, uh, thus us, that it is not how we are to live. Matter of fact, if you let even a little of that yeast in, if you are controlled and influenced by it just a little, you don't realize how powerful it is. You don't realize how powerful it is. And you don't fully see or understand how it's going to affect you. And you don't fully see how vulnerable you are to these two things. But there's hope. Let's go to the book of Matthew. There's actually a yeast cure for all of this. Matthew 13, 33, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. Again, fail home ec, but 60 pounds of flour seems like a lot until it worked all through the dough. This is a very short and simple parable, but it's a snapshot of what our lives are supposed to look like. Hear this truth. Hear this truth redeemed. If we live into this parable, things are going to get rocking and rolling, okay? When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, he's referring to the domain 
of the Messiah, okay? It's this abstract idea. And you know, one of the things that's, that's really hard for me is that Jesus doesn't ever exactly define the kingdom, but he shares it in parables of what it's like, right? And we know this because he is the Messiah, because he is uh, the Son of God. Anything that he says or anything that he does is a representative of what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is, okay? So it's this abstract idea. And so he speaks in parables about what the kingdom of God is and describes it this way. And what we see is that there's different aspects of the kingdom, but what we see is and what we know is that it's an everlasting, never-ending kingdom. Jesus is speaking about an everlasting and never-ending kingdom. And it's present and tangible in every aspect of your life. In every aspect of your life, the kingdom of God can invade in a powerful way, okay? So we know that it's never-ending and that it's active right now, okay? So this is a weird, a weird thing going on. But we also know that there's going to be a future appearance of Jesus. Thank God this is when everyone roars. Thank God Jesus is coming back, right? All right, everyone's a little bit... Man, my notes are off today. It's like... When the revival happens is what I wrote, but Jesus is coming back. And what happens with the kingdom of God is when Jesus comes back, we're going to fully experience and realize this kingdom of God, okay? We're all on the same page. The kingdom of God is very important to understand because most churches, we, we talk about behavior modification, and we do. We seek for holiness, but you have to understand what the kingdom of God is to stay away from these two leavens, okay, or these two yeasts. It's everlasting, never-ending. It's tangible and it's happening. There'll be a future appearance and we will fully experience it. But we know this, that today, today, the kingdom of God is spiritual. It's happening within us. It's happening with what we do. It's active, but it's happening right now. And we exist in the heart of the believers. So here's how we are meant to live. We are to live as kingdom people. If we want to avoid these two yeasts, we have to know and understand what it means to live as kingdom people. Not like the Pharisees, not like Herod, but like the way of Jesus. Who Jesus is and what he tells us to be because the kingdom of God is like yeast. And once that takes off, it has the same power only magnified. We, as the followers of the way, trade self-righteousness for humility. We trade religion for faith. We trade doing what we want for laying down our lives. We trade getting attention for glorifying Jesus in everything that we do. We trade power for servanthood. This is who we are. This is what the church is meant to look like. If we're going to stay away from these two leavens, we have to live differently. And Jesus is saying, look at my deeds, look at my actions, look at my parables, and look at what I say. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so we trade these things, right? We hold truth and we speak it in love. We walk the narrow path called speaking truth and love. And it's very difficult, but it's a call that we have. It's very difficult to stay away from this yeast. It's very difficult to stay away from this yeast, but we see that there's actually a more powerful yeast, and that is the kingdom of God. And we live for the kingdom of God. Here's what hap happens. Can you throw up the chart? I put it in the wrong order, but the chart that I did a terrible job of doing, but it's important to understand. 
The heart of God is in the center. One of the challenges we have, Redeemed Church, is that if you go the yeast of the Pharisees, you're moving away from the heart of God. If you go the yeast of Herod to the world, you're moving away from the heart of God. And what he's saying is that when you understand the yeast of the kingdom of God, you're going directly into the heart of God. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look at me. If you want to know what the heart of God is, look at me because I'm going to display it and I'm going to express it in everything that I do. Jesus, people. The kingdom of God begins to change us from the inside. Just like yeast makes dough rise from within, God changes my heart. God changes your heart. God is continually changing my heart and he's continually changing your heart. And what is he doing? He's doing that to say, I want you to look more kingdom than religion or the world, okay? That's what's happening. We live differently. We become agents of change, slowly transforming us from the inside. Sometimes it feels very slow, but he's doing it and he's transforming us on the inside so that we affect the world around us. Now, here's the deal. As believers as 2023, this is as true for us as it was back then. And so this is a battle that we have to be on guard for. This is one of those things that we pray about. It's one of those things that we journal about. It's one of those heart gut issues, right? Like we see how we're doing in this. How kingdom minded am I? How Jesus people am I? How on fire am I for Jesus and Jesus only? How am I not getting into church politics or the world, right? Instead, I'm saying I am moving in the way of Jesus. I want to say this too. There's, I've said this multiple times. I'm going to say it again. One of the challenges is, is that, especially in the, 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 the yeast of the, the, of the world or the yeast of Herod, one of the challenges is that it used to be very much, this is the world and within my home, I'm going to keep this a safe place, maybe. Let's use that word as a better place. But with technology and TV and noise and Google and Alexa and everything, one of the challenges is, is that we, especially for our kids, Megan and I just battle this so much for the kids. So quickly you can get the leaven of the world into your house. And at the same time, you can access anything and you can get a leaven of religion in you as well, right? You can listen to the right voice and it's like, oh, all of a sudden you get that. So, but we have access to so much, so fast. Here's the problem. Jesus said it. Yeast is very powerful. You think listening to that one song or watching that one show is not really harming anything, right? And yet yeast is happening so quickly. Or you're going to listen to this one uh, podcast or this one whatever, and all of a sudden yeast begins to manifest and trap you into this thing. It's probably harder. I don't know that it is harder, but I'm going to throw it out there. It probably is harder to, to be aware of these two things in today's world as much as anywhere as much as anywhere. These speaking to people who did not have an iPhone. Your iPhone has more power than the computer that got the spaceship up to the moon. Think about that, all right? They have, you have more computer power in your hand than they did to get onto the moon. And with that, every single idea or thought is accessed to you at any given time. I was with, I was talking to a, a kid, one of my friend's kids, and I said, 
I, I, they were watching YouTube, and I said, hey, let's throw on this YouTube thing. He said, oh, I don't watch that. It's boring. I said, well, what do you watch? And he said, whatever YouTube feeds me, like whatever the, whatever the algorithm shows. Like he's like, I don't even know what I watch, you know? It's like, dudes, come on. This is so powerful, so powerful. This is not, we're not burning CDs like I had to in the 90s. I'm not saying that. But I am saying you got to be careful of the yeast. You got to be careful of the yeast on both ends. Small things have incredible power. You got to get to the granular level to understand this. It, over and over again, I'll say this. God cares about your innermost being. He says it over and over and over again. And you can play the victim. You can complain or, or say the world is the problem. You can say that the news is the problem. You can say whatever is the problem. And Jesus is saying, you know what? There's actually a yeast, and all you're called to is be on guard of these things. And you're instead supposed to set your heart and your mind on the kingdom of God. You're almost supposed to be obsessed with it. And you're supposed to walk down the straight and narrow path to say, God, I know that you are good. God, I know that all this other stuff is distraction or all this other stuff, if it gets in me, will make me go to the right or the left of the path that you desire me. And instead we say it's the kingdom of God that we live in, not the world, not religion, but the kingdom of God, this invisible truth, the truest thing in the world. That when it takes root, when the yeast begins to affect the dough, it impacts everyone. Kev, I'll have you call, come up and Jason's going to come do communion. Yeast does its job quietly and gradually, but also quickly. You're influenced by things that are almost quiet and gradual, but very quick. And here's the thing is that the same goes for God's truth and God's grace. And when it sets in your heart, when it begins to work in your heart, it will affect you, but it will affect those that are around you. I, I was on a run this morning. I, you know, I, I pray in the morning and I get out and, and I was just like, Lord, let the yeast of the kingdom of God fall on this place. And I realized that my faith was so small. I thought there's no way. I've been hearing a narrative and it's been coming, just to be honest with you, it's been coming from myself, but also the way we talk as a community. That we are limited. This place is so bad. This county is so bad. This state is so bad. The country is so bad that we just give up and we say the yeast, the kingdom of God is like yeast. If it just gets a little bit into the dough, 60 pounds of flour, you'll be going and rocking and rolling. But what do you believe? What do you believe? Because the thing is, if you complain more than you do something, you're not living into the kingdom and the yeast of the kingdom of God. Because God is saying, I'm ready to move in just a little bit of yeast. I'm telling you this thing is going to take off. And it doesn't even matter. If Redeemed Church shuts its doors tomorrow, thank you, Jesus, for what impact you made. It's not about building up the church. It's about that there are people out there that are hurting and that are dying and that are in the yeast of Herod like never before, and they need the yeast of the kingdom of God. And it's through us that that happens. The spreading of the gospel is what we're called to. Not religion and not worldliness. The spreading of the gospel. 
And the amazing thing is that as we spread the gospel, we have gotten it wrong. I, 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 we haven't got it wrong. Let me say this. I, I read things. I talk about this all the time. I was taught, repent now, repent now, like this angry voice. And repentance is this beautiful voice. It's this welcome to the loving kindness of God. And what, this is also, this is not him saying the yeast is bang, bang, bang. It's saying, no, do you understand how powerful this is? And do you understand the gift that I'm giving you? The gift of the yeast of the kingdom of God just a little bit impacts the whole community. Stand up and pray. Oh, actually, yeah, let's stay seated. I forgot we're doing communion. Sorry about that. I'm worked up. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Lord, if there's anything in us that has any of these two leavens in it, Lord, I pray that you would search us and that you would help us root it out, Lord, because we want to be clean. We want to be just a vessel where your yeast, the kingdom of God, can take root into our lives and the kingdom of God can take root into our, our families and the kingdom of God can take root into our neighborhoods and our city and our county and our state and our country. And Lord, we know that you want to move, Lord. Allow us to just be clean vessels that you can move, Lord. Set our heart on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace that only comes through you. Lord, let us be people who speak truth and who speak it in love. Those who trade all self-righteousness for humility, Lord, that we trade all our uh, the things that we want for laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters, Lord, just all the stuff that you call us to is so hard sometimes, Lord. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.